Hi, I'm Ashley, and I'd like to welcome you to That Novel Feeling, the podcast where we talk reading, books, and more. I am here today with international best-selling author Jillian McMillan. Jillian has written eight books now, including The Long Weekend, The Nanny, What She Knew, and more. Today, we will be discussing her new release, The Manor House. Jillian, welcome. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. I'm very pleased to be here. Before we begin discussing The Manor House, can you just share a bit about yourself? So uh, my name is Julie McMillan. Um, I am the author, as I think was just said, of eight uh, psychological thrillers. Um, It's a career that I started quite late in my life, actually. So it's been uh, a bit of a journey for me um, because I had my kids first and then got going on all of this. So it's been a life change and something I think I'm still getting used to. But I love it. Um, I'm working on my next thriller currently, and I have had so much fun kind of getting to know readers in Canada throughout my time. That's been a highlight. And on that topic, you did recently just get back from a book tour in the United States and Canada. How was it? It was, it was amazing. It was, it was so much fun. And especially because it was my first tour since the pandemic. So I hadn't been to Canada since I guess it was 2020 or something like that. um, When I, my book, The Nanny came out. So this time I was in Toronto and in the, uh, in in the regions around it and I traveled up to Nova Scotia and spent some time in Halifax and it was so much fun we did some really good events I met a bunch of booksellers I got to talk to tons of readers and you know you can't really ask for more as a as a writer it's that's the best bit what was your what was the highlight what was one of your favorite things about this trip so oh I had a lot I mean one was looking around Nova Scotia Um, being shown around a little bit, eating lobster roll, going to Peggy's Cove. Um, I love Toronto. It's great to be back there. But a highlight has to come from a reader. And as you're probably about to find out, my new book, The Manor House, is all about lottery winners. And somebody in a venue I won't name came up to me at the end when I was signing books and whispered in my ear, they said, I won the lottery. (laughs) Oh my gosh. She said, Oh my goodness, did you? And they said, I did. And then they said, And my friends tell me I haven't changed a bit. And I thought, That's so interesting. So it's one of the things that the book is about. And I would have loved to talk to that person for, for longer, but um, we didn't get a chance. But I thought that was very cool. That is. That's and what were yeah. the, what are the odds of that? That's I that do not really know. Hard. They can't be high. <laughs> no. So moving on now to the Manor House, for our listeners who may not have read it yet, can you share what it is about? So the Manor House is the story of Tom and Nicole. They are childhood sweethearts. They're a lovely young couple. Um, They're still only in their 20s. And they had started out a very regular life, regular jobs and very much in love and building something together. And one day um, they won the lottery. They won 10 million pounds which is about 18 million Canadian dollars I think so a fair bit of money and they do what I think a lot of us might do with that kind of win they upgrade their real estate and they do this by buying an old ruin um, on a beautiful location from a couple who own a manor house hence the title of the book and out of this ruin they build an extraordinary glass building which they call the glass barn and it's a smart home full of uh, all of these features and not all of these features work very well all of the time for for them especially for Nicole um, 
the smart features are kind of Tom's baby. But anyway, the book starts. Nicole's coming home one morning. Um, she's been at a country fair. Tom didn't go with her. So she comes home and she gets into the house and there's music blaring. And it shouldn't because the house is smart. So if you're playing music, it should follow you from room to room. And by the way, I got that idea of Bill Gates's house. Um, and she looks for her husband. She can't turn down the music. She can't find Tom. And as she goes through the house, she feels first touchy with him because he's left it in a bit of a mess. So she's cleaning up coffee cups and straightening up the bed. And then she's a little worried and she steps out finally onto the balcony of their bedroom. And she sees that he is in the pool face down and he's dead. He's drowned. So the book kicks off from there. It's uh, the questions it asks her, was he murdered? If not, what happened? If he was, who did it and why? So it's kind of a whodunit. I don't know. We'll touch on it in a little bit. But smart homes, Julie, they scare me. I don't yeah, they, like all that stuff. It freaks <laughs> me out. <laughs> and I think it freaks out Nicole, my character as well. She's really kind of, you know, this what her husband really wants. She got what she wanted and he wanted smart features. And she said yes. And there are many times in the book when she really regrets that. Mm-hmm. Technology has that effect on us, though, doesn't it? We we generally we think it's a great idea, and then we end up kicking ourselves at some point. When yeah, we're we on. do, and 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 know that it's like you know slapping the side of the TV, isn't it? You know, ultimately, it's frustrating sometimes. <laughs> this novel is so interesting and complex. It explores money, secrets, complicated relationships, murder. What aspect of this story really drew you in initially, and made you realize you had to tell this particular story? So I was thinking about money. Because money, as we know, is often a motive for crime. Um, And I was thinking initially about uh, pyramid schemes, not like a big Bernie Madoff style pyramid scheme, but those ones that happen in local communities. Um, And they can really destroy relationships, you know, marriages, friendships, networks, um, and actually destroy people's lives. And I really, I wanted to write a book about that, but it it was hard because you need a really big cast list just because of the nature of the crime. Um, So I I couldn't make that work. And then I was talking to my agent one day and she's like, what about a lottery win? And I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) that will do it. That gives me what I need because money does, I believe that money does change people, whether you have it or you don't, it changes you. It affects how you live and how you behave and how people treat you. And so that was the perfect way to explore that idea. And I can imagine you're right, that it would be such a huge undertaking for one of those pyramid schemes, like the, I don't want to name names, like the selling things, like you, you sign up. And I didn't really realize how intense and how much that would ruin people's lives until I think, I don't know, one of the streaming services had some documentaries on it and watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I had no idea like how deep and how bad these things could I was get. I watched a bunch of stuff and did some research and my eyes were literally on stalks, you know, what people do to each other, you know, and how they can deceive people who are supposedly close to them. It's just extraordinary. Exactly. Yeah. So this novel is told through the eyes of multiple characters, as well as some flashbacks. I love being able to get some background and different perspectives, but that's not always easy to do when writing. It is done so well here and really added to my can't put it down feeling. Why did you choose to do this? And what do you think it added to the overall story? Uh, Well, thank you, first of all. Um, I think 
I I always enjoy well I enjoy writing first person but I enjoy writing multiple third person perspectives as well because I think it allows you to reveal things to the reader before the characters other characters know them so the reader can know something and they can be screaming at a character you know don't do it because because this um, but the character doesn't know it yet so it's a way of adding complexity to the plot and adding and kind of creating a bond with readers, which I think is important when you're writing thrillers. You want readers to be really connected. The the thing you have to be careful of, and I sometimes worry about this, is overcomplicating, like giving readers too much to, to keep track of. So there's always a, a balance there that you're trying to strike and hoping that you have struck, you know. Well, in that same vein, it was interesting, as you said, to be reading the novel and thinking that even we as the readers knew something only to realize once you see another point of view, you had no idea. You didn't know. And it is always so fascinating to me that the same event or situation can be seen differently from different people. So do you write each point of view separately and weave them together? Or do you write them all at the same time chronologically as you're going through? Like, how do you keep them all organized so I uh, I start by writing it all at the same time I'll start with the start and then I'll throw in another character and then throw in maybe another it's a little bit chaotic I have to admit um, and then I will get to a certain point in the book where I'm completely lost on who's done what and who's done things so I create what I call a spreadsheet but my husband tells me is a word table um, to keep track of everything and everybody and that's the point it's from then on and also into the second draft of the book where I'm really being forensic about what's happening in each section and which voice is coming in where. And I'll do an awful lot of chopping and changing to try and create the maximum sort of readability and tension um, throughout throughout the story by by kind of dovetailing those points of view and figuring out what's the most kind of powerful, what, what really will keep the pages turning. Because that's always my... As a reader, that's what I'm interested in as a writer as well. I'm like, what keeps turning the pages? Because that's the best fun when you read, isn't it? A book that you cannot stop. Yes. My husband made most of the dinners while I was reading your book for the couple. I was like, you want to eat? Figure it out. It's okay. (laughs) And I think it's easy sometimes to forget too while um, you're reading a thriller, how much work the author has to put into it to make sure that all the small details line up. Like that's... It's yes, not an easy yes. task. No, and I have benefited from some really good editing. Um, so not just the kind of big edits, but the I have a really good copy editor and she is so brilliant at, tra- at tracing all of the little details. And she sends me these manuscripts with things where I literally face planting because I just think, how did I miss that? Or, you know, how could I not have, you know, it's brilliant. So she is really responsible for the ac- the accuracy of the final draft. She's she, I couldn't do without her. That's awesome. So we touched on this a little bit earlier, but in the novel, Nicole reflects that she's more old school when it comes to technology, but Tom wanted to go all out with the smart home features. Where do you fall on the smart home spectrum? Rather do without or go all in? I Well, as we said, I'm I tend more to without, you know, I don't have a uh, any gadgets beyond my laptops, phones and things in our house. Um, 
I tell you who's gone all in. I mentioned it earlier is Bill Gates. And if you take a little, if anybody's into this stuff, it's well worth having a little Google about what his house can do. Um, Cause I went down that rabbit hole and I'm like, it was amazing. It's just such clever stuff. So if you just wouldn't think of. I'll have to take a look then. But I, like I said earlier, it freaks me out. I don't I, like, yeah. I don't know. Like even the music, it follows you. It knows what room you're, I don't know. There's just something, it, I don't know. It weirds me out, Julie. It's not right. It's, it's, it's very egocentric as well, because some of these houses also keep temperature control. So if you walk into room, the, the temperature in that room will adjust to your preferences. But it means you probably never really feel anything or experience anything you know it's almost like you're in a completely controlled environment which I suppose is the point but I I, I am like you a little freaked out by that idea yeah and like I don't mind technology like we can use it for some incredible things but when I start to feel like it gets smarter than me or it's more aware of things yeah. than me that's when I'm like no thank you no yeah I, I can turn on my oven I can I'm okay yeah. <laughs> I'm with you there so the glass barn sounds incredible the beautiful pool the atrium the large kitchen the gym what rooms or features would you have in your home if money was no object? Aside from a library, I would love to have a home theater and an indoor pool. I'm going to say yes, please, to those things. Um, maybe a steam room, you know, maybe. Uh, but the library would be the best. And and you know what I'd have? I've had, I'd have an orangery, you know, one of those really beautiful greenhouses, indoor kind of greenhouses where you could sit and read your book surrounded by indoor plants all winter that's what I would have that would be stunning wouldn't oh my it goodness. yeah there's so many things that that we could do I, I think we could have a whole episode just on things that we'd want to do with all that money. yeah we probably could <laughs> so in a talk you did recently you mentioned that you do not know who the killer is at the beginning of your books that comes later and I find that so interesting can you share a bit more about that yeah, it's interesting because when I was in Canada, um, I did a couple of events with Linwood Barclay, who I think is an absolutely brilliant thriller writer. And he was talking about how he um, kind of knows the ending. He knows the beginning and the ending. I hope I'm getting this right. Um, so he was saying it's a bit like he knows he wants to drive from New York to L.A., right? He knows where he's starting, he knows where he's going. He just doesn't know how he's going to get there. And I was thinking, yeah, I probably just strike out from New York and that's that's it, you know. Um, but having said that, I quite enjoy the process of exploration. And I also enjoy the fact that if I don't know, I am not seeding clues. I am not making it obvious, like trying to hide a character, or I'm just putting those people on the page. And if I need to tweak later to make it more or less obvious who the killer is, I can do that. But I like that feeling of almost being a detective myself at the beginning. That's true. And I never thought of it like that because sometimes, especially if you know what's going to happen, I feel like it could be hard to not like let something slip. That's just a exactly. little bit too much. Exactly that. So I'm always a little afraid of that. Yeah. Ollie is an author in the book and he reflects that because he is a writer, he is more accustomed to considering the darker and more complex things in life. How do you think being a writer affects your day to day? Um, I mean, Ollie's very um, arrogant. So Ollie makes a lot of grand statements and he's not always terribly likable. But I will say that I think he's he's kind of right on, on this one because I think as writers and especially as thriller writers, we have to turn over stones and look at human behavior, um, the darker side of human behavior. It's We couldn't write our books unless we did. And I think 
it's something I occasionally feel I need a break from, um, especially with the news being what it is at the moment and the world being what it is. Um, but I also think it's it makes you very curious, nosy, some might say. Um, but I think I'm really interested in human nature and possibly, yeah, I think that really drives me as a writer. I was speaking recently to Kelly Armstrong and uh, she was saying, we were talking about how when she goes somewhere, she can think of a hundred different ways a situation can go sideways. And I'm like, yeah, does that help you prepare or does it stress you out? And she laughed and she's like, both. It's it's a blessing and a curse. It's both. I you- totally agree. I think a lot of writers <laughs> are just basically catastrophists. <laughs> oh my goodness. So as we also mentioned at the beginning, we learned at the very start of the novel that Nicole and Tom win the lottery but that they were not always so well off. Nicole seems to adapt to the change really well while Tom really struggles with it. Why do you think Nicole and Tom each adapted or not the way that they did? I think Nicole is a more thoughtful person and I think she saw a way to use the money to improve their lives. Um, Tom I think just thought it would make him happy And the move they made um, kind of separated him a bit from friends. I think she was just a little bit more mature about it than he was. Um, She took a lot of advice. She's keen to manage their money carefully. Um, She's treating it almost like a business proposition. And he is more thinking, well, if I put a bunch of smart features in my home, I'll be happy. And of course, he needs his friends. And he needs, you know, he still needs the human connections that he had. And he doesn't he doesn't perhaps grasp that as well as she does. It really interests me, you know, in a lot of couples, there are different attitudes to money. And I think a lottery win would just really put that under the under the microscope. And it was so interesting with Tom too, because he was so relatable in that way, because so often in the world that we live in, it's if you have this, you'll feel this way. If you do this, your life will be this certain way. Right. And yeah. it was so interesting to watch him get everything he thought would make him happy. And the reality is it doesn't. So that was really interesting. It made him super relatable, I think, to a lot of people. Definitely made him relatable to me. Yeah, I enjoyed enjoyed writing him a lot. Do you think that if you win that amount of money, it is impossible for it to not change you? Yeah, because, and this was what was interesting about the, what the lottery winner said to me secretly at the book signing. Um, And that was, it was interesting to me that that was the first thing that they said. And they offered that up. I didn't, I didn't ask that question. And I think, I think, yeah, because at the very minimum, you have to have new business skills, because you have to handle a lot of money, you're going to get new people in your life, because they're going to help you. And everybody else is going to think of you differently. So you're going to have to manage that. So I think that's the the minimal amount of change. And then you might grow in other ways, depending if you're the type to want to be philanthropic or charitable or the type to want to just buy a private jet or or do both or, you know, I think it's got to change you. And in that same vein, a lot of Tom's friends ditched him after the win, saying that they couldn't relate to him anymore. He was no longer one of them. What do you think makes it so hard for the people around Tom and Nicole to accept or be comfortable with their newfound wealth or in, in general? I think it's jealousy. And I also think it's what you were saying earlier, the belief that those things make you happy. The money makes you happy. So they think, oh, well, they're they're sorted. They've got it all. They don't have any struggles anymore. You know, we can't we can't relate. You know, Um, all the dynamics have shifted because money brings power in certain ways 
right? So they, you know, Tom, who was one of them, now has power. He can take them out for the night. He can do what he wants, you know, buy what he wants. And all of that, I think, feeds into jealousy and possibly resentment. And it was kind of frustrating on Tom's behalf to see, like, he wasn't being like, look at me, like, I'm wearing Gucci or Chanel. Like, he's just like, let's go to the pub. Let's just, I'll pay for the night out. So he was just trying so hard. He wasn't lording it over them or anything. And it just didn't matter. No, I know. Yeah. It's perhaps a bit harsh on his friends, but um, works for the novel. <laughs> I, th- You know what, though? I think that it's realistic for sure, because you do also read stories and hear stories when people win the lottery, like everybody comes out of the woodwork, like yeah. everything. So you know. I read some shocking stories. I mean, that's another research rabbit hole I went down is how many lottery winners uh, lose it all and yeah. fall out with family. I mean, it's just catastrophic sometimes. It's incredible. Yeah. Throughout the novel, another topic that is really explored is that of grief. Nicole losing Tom, obviously, but also in other ways. Anna losing her husband years ago, the grief Tom feels about losing the life that he had. What are some of the challenges of depicting such a large and deep emotion in such a realistic and vivid way on page? I think you almost have to do it as simply as possible, which is to tap into your own feelings of grief. You know, we've all experienced, almost all of us have experienced grief. And I think sometimes with all the complexity of plots and deadlines, you have to have a quiet few hours at your desk where you really, really think about grief and channel that into what you're writing, in, into your character's world um, the best you can. It's It's where you get probably most in touch with yourself as a writer in the most raw possible way. So it's not always fun, but I think it it's important to make the book, the emotions feel real in the book. And all right, so no spoilers here. I promise, I promise. There are some serious twists and turns in this novel. Some had my jaw on the floor. How do you strike the balance between alluding to the twists enough throughout the book so that they're realistic for the reader, but not so much that they become predictable because you do it so well? Oh, thank you. Um, it's in the edit. Um, you you hope you have it in the first draft. In the first draft, you're kind of getting the book on the page. You're finding out what the twists and turns and the structure are. You're piecing the thing together like a jigsaw sometimes. In this, in the edit that comes after that, which is usually the big second draft, that's when you're really looking at that stuff and going, and you use you're really fine tuning and looking at your use of language and your use of moments and behaviors and and you have to trust your gut quite a lot but you obviously then have editors looking at it who say oh no I saw that coming a mile off or you know or that one you could seed in more so you have a bit of help but it's it's the bit where I always think of it as the fine tuning and it's always again I think it's an easy thing to forget that sometimes like writing books can be like a a team or a group effort at some points can it like it's very collaborative at some points and I think that that gets forgotten as well. I think it does. This whole sort of writer is solitary genius thing. And, you know, we do a lot of work on our own, but I like collaborating. I'm, you know, I sometimes wish I could collaborate more. Um, So for me, although obviously edits can be horrendous and you do go through some stages of grief when they arrive, (laughs) the rage and then the acceptance and all of that, um, but ultimately, it's about the book. And if it makes the book better, which they almost always do, then it, they're they're so important. And this is your eighth book. So congratulations on eight. Thank you. How has your writing process changed or evolved from book one to now? And now you're working on book nine. How has your process 
changed? I think it's disappointingly similar in that it's always been a bit chaotic. And and every time I start a new book, I, I think I'm going to plan this. I'm going to, you know, do a lot of work in advance so I don't spend my days tearing up my hair and, you know, worrying about what to write next. And I just can't get my brain to work that way. And, and much to the sort of chagrin of my agent and, and people who want to know what it's going to be about, um, I can't do it. So I'm still, I, I was saying the other day, it's a bit like Tetris. This makes sense. So like, I instead of writing in a linear way from A to B or from New York to LA, I need the pieces to fall in. So all the different elements of the book to fall in so that the beginning is solid and then I can start to grow it from there. And that's a that's a bit of a, a, a struggle and it takes a bit of trial and error. So um, yeah, it's a bit chaotic. <laughs> if you could tell yourself your book one, your book one self something now after all of your experience, what would it be? What advice would you give to yourself way back then? I'd give, I'd give myself, uh, I would say, hold your nerve because for me, it's a nervy process. It's a lot of decision-making when you write from the big idea right down to the choice of words for a piece of dialogue. And you need a lot of nerve to make decisions. And I'd say, hold your nerve, because sometimes I don't. And I, you need to do that as in life, you know, as in writing, as in life, as much as you possibly can. I think that is good advice for life as well, Probably. for anyone for me too. <laughs> yeah. um, so thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much for having me on again. You can find The Manor House along with all of Julie's other novels wherever books are sold. You can keep up to date with Julie by visiting her website at www.juliemcmillan.com, on Instagram and Twitter at at Julie McMillan, and on Facebook at at Julie McMillan Author. All links will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please leave a review or visit me on Instagram at at readlikeash and let me know.